Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. Today's podcast is the first of two complimentary episodes and will probably be among the most thought-provoking ones I've made. It will also be very personal to each of you as it's on a subject I'm sure you've all thought about, probably a lot. That is, what kind of martial artist are you training to be? I think it's obvious that any reasonably dedicated martial arts student doesn't want to be mediocre or adequate, but good. By good, I mean better than average by quite a ways. I know I never wanted to be just decent at Aikido. I wanted to be really good at it. I still do. What I found in my varied martial arts and competitive experience is that this goal is great, but it's just too vague. With so many different ways to be good and different skills to excel at, What exactly are the traits I was looking for when it came to how good I wanted to be? It took far more than merely saying I would win more fights than I lost. Sure, that's a far more tangible goal than merely saying I want to be really good. The more I watched other martial artists, I would see them perform a technique and say to myself, I want to be able to do that as well as they do it. I would then go about trying to steal their technique from them. I very much believe in this concept of stealing technique which I've heard many instructors mention. Don't wait to be taught. Study and steal everything that you can. What I found was that many techniques could be stolen pretty easily and others were far more difficult. Another way to put it was that some things worked out well for me and others didn't. Sometimes when a martial artist shared the secret sauce of their techniques with me, learning it would be easier and I would get it. In a few cases, even that didn't help. They seem to have figured out something which works really well for them, but I just could not duplicate. It is what it is. Techniques can be like that. The reason I bring this up is that the careful study of different martial artists and fighters became a habit to me. I started with the technique stealing approach and found over time that I was starting to put together a fuller image of what an expert martial artist was. That image went far beyond merely what techniques they chose and how well they executed them. I was interested in how they put it all together. I've shared this in previous podcasts, but a vast majority of those I studied in this way were fighters. That is, people who applied their martial arts in a full contact competition. I make this distinction because watching how well someone does kata or breaks down technique from an academic perspective is a different thing. Kind of like walking up to a race car which is parked and trying to assess how well it performs. You really cannot see what that race car is capable of until you see it in a race. Does it have the power and performance to win or not? A car might look impressive and sound great, but get it out on the track and you find out that it is all show and no go. Style is no substitute for substance. At this point, I could branch out into the style differences of martial artists, but that isn't the most profound thing that I noticed as I studied more and more practitioners for my definition of excellence. In fact, Looking closely at their art, methods, or techniques actually distracted me from what made them elite martial artists. It was that elusive component that I found what it was I was looking for. It was the driver of the car. A fast car is nothing without a skilled driver. That is, an experienced driver who knows how to control that car in the heat of the race. Does he have all those intangible skills to cross the line under the checkered flag or not? The car is a factor but the driver is the difference between victory and defeat. In the martial arts and self-defense world, the word mindset is used a lot and I think describes the equivalent of the race car driver. It's what is inside of us that makes the difference. Sport competitors refer to this as the competitive mindset. It is the ability to control your anxiety, remain calm and collected, 
Focus on what needs to be done in the moment, all while keeping your concentration but not over-concentrating to the point that you miss critical things. It is staying relaxed but ready to act in an instant when needed. A mind which is not capable of this will not perform well under stress. All the technique in the world will mean nothing if the mind has not been honed to perform when the pressure comes. This is what academic martial artists miss entirely when they spend their time going through kata day in and day out for years. Kata is not a training tool which builds mindset. Once I set aside my desire to study techniques, I saw two distinct traits that I really wanted to develop in myself. The first is what you could call a calm smoothness. An elite martial artist never rushes or is hurried. They never panic or scramble. They move only when they need to and only as much as they need to. They might move fast, but only in the exact moments and measure which are required. Otherwise, they save their energy. It seems that they are always expending less energy than their opponent. They know that this is crucial if a fight goes on for an extended period of time. You can see this most often in older fighters who have a great deal of experience. They waste no effort. It took me a while to fully appreciate what I was seeing and just how long it takes to build such a high level of skill. At first, I merely watched for how often they would win fights, particularly against well-skilled opponents. This was purely a layperson's view. As I came to realize there was far more to it than that, I watched the level of control they exhibited in a fight. They kept their calm and controlled not only themselves but their opponent. It wasn't merely that they called upon the right technique at the right time. It wasn't that they had a rock-solid defense or an overwhelming offense. What I saw was an intimate understanding of everything that was going on in a fight. They had a level of perception and analysis which was extraordinary. This wasn't all. They had honed their mind and body to work together in concert with their opponent's movements and even intent. The techniques they use are merely tools which suit their purpose. If they were asked why they did a certain technique, their answers typically were, it was just what I needed at the time. To me, this reflected that they were in the moment only. There may have been some sort of setup to create the opportunity, but more often than not, the fight happened so fast that the forebrain was not involved. These fighters would often admit as much. They often say things like, I didn't think about it, I just did it. I think this is what Musashi was describing in his book of the void. I think it's also a description of Mushin, or no mind. The experience it takes to get to that level of consciousness is nothing less than extraordinary. In the nearly three decades of competing, I think I've felt it only a handful of times. It's very difficult to get there. You can get in what athletes call a flow state, which I've felt many times. There's a distinct difference between a flow state and what I felt was the void. In many ways, trying to describe it feels like describing colors to someone who is born completely blind. The tangible traits I saw that I wanted to work on in myself and continue to pursue are that calm smoothness of motion, the ability to quickly analyze an attacker's body movements and intent on the fly, the ability to adjust and adapt smoothly to changing circumstances, all the while maintaining excellent control over my expenditure of energy. These were the outward signs of immense amounts of internal development. I noticed a stark contrast when I went from working with one of these rare individuals who had this to someone who was just very good. What previously looked like solid skill and ability looked clumsy in comparison. I suppose it was kind of like driving a Subaru all the time and then getting behind the wheel of a Mercedes or BMW. You drive a top-of-the-line automobile and then go back to your Subaru. A car that felt pretty good before now feels like a jalopy. 
Probably the most remarkable trait of these elite martial artists and competitors was their ability to move slower than their opponent but still be ahead of them. I've felt this many times. To give you some perspective, I've moved faster than a majority of the fighters that I faced. Not saying this to toot my own horn, but I spent quite a bit of time honing my movement down to become quick. Speed is an advantage in a striking art, and you can win fights just by being faster than your opponent. While this is generally true, speed isn't king. I found this out when I fought one of these elite fighters, or even just a very good fighter who had excellent timing. At first, I thought it was just the timing they had going for them. As I studied more, though, I realized that there were many aspects which contributed to excellent timing. It was more than just moving at the right time. What these elite fighters had was a combination of excellent understanding of range, and I'm talking down to fractions of an inch here, reading an opponent's position, stance, and movement, and the uncanny ability to read their intent. When used in combination, it seemed wherever you moved, they were always a step ahead of you. When you struck, the block was already there or they already evaded and were striking the opening that you left. It was like they were Jedi using the Force, all the while having moved slower than you did. It occurred to me at a fairly young age that my speed and quickness would decline as I got older. I felt getting tuned into these important skills and working on them was crucial. When put together, they amount to an efficiency of effort and minimal expenditure of energy. This is where I love Judo's mantra, maximum efficiency, minimum effort. This concept resounded with me down to my core. I felt that Aikido is no different in its goals. In fact, most martial arts pursue this when you look at their historical heritage. In a fight, you cannot afford to waste effort or energy. You want to get the most bang for your buck. As a side note, there are high-energy martial arts. They are great for what they do, but I felt for me I needed an art that didn't require me to be a physical phenom to be effective. Many arts are well-suited to youthful practitioners, but are not well-suited to people who are in less than prime physical condition. Being a physical phenom is a fantastic achievement, but it won't get you all the way to mastery. Far more elite-level martial artists are smarter and more efficient than they are incredibly strong and fast. Fitness is important, don't get me wrong, but it's not the sole factor you can build excellence on. Once I saw what that mastery-level elite martial artist was like, it gave me a new goal to shoot for. As I tried to break down what exactly made them that, it became clear that there was far more than technical precision at play. Just a side note on the term mastery. That term often sponsors arguments about whether someone can ever achieve mastery. I think people often confuse the word mastery with perfection. A master is not perfect, but someone who has extraordinary skills and abilities. I've yet to find someone of this level of skill who does not freely admit that they make mistakes and that their techniques and applications are far from perfect. I think it is this attitude which drives them to such a high level of performance. As good as they are, their attitude is that they are flawed and they are always working to improve. I also believe it is important to note that elite martial artists, like I describe, are not invincible. They prevail a lot and leave their opponents, even highly skilled ones, feeling like they got schooled. That doesn't mean that they are unbeatable, and they will usually be the first ones to admit it. The thing is that they train and build so much skill that they all but eliminate luck from the equation. When they lose or something doesn't go right, they analyze why and address it through their training. When you watch skill at this level, it's a game of millimeters and a nearly invisible chess match of pressure, subtle movements, and matching of wills. If you don't have the eyes to see this, the whole thing can be boring and even tedious to watch. 
The second trait of elite martial artists I noticed is even harder to see. It is the will to prevail which can be called upon instantly. Losing or getting beaten is not an option in their mind, and every movement comes from this strength of will. This is something that academic martial artists seem incapable of comprehending. Out of their ignorance, they feel that this will to win is some kind of brutish desire to cause pain and dominate innocent people. They have many ways of describing it, but they are all distortions and false depictions of it. When you don't understand something, it's impossible to describe it accurately. This mindset is often attributed to ego and pride. It is true that there are egomaniacs and sociopaths out there with the desire to dominate others in an evil way. Their desire to do so can be very strong. But it's not the will or desire which is evil. It is their intention to do evil with it. The will to win itself is merely a tool. Just like any other tool, it can be used for good or bad. The will to win is a valuable tool. When in the hands of virtuous people with strong character, it is a tremendous blessing to humanity. Those who protect society must have this. In my opinion, each of us has the duty and obligation to protect peace and harmony in our society. It's not a responsibility we can delegate to a select few. The will to win is not restricted to one venue or limited to one set of tools. There are people who are excellent with their limited tool set, but once they get out of that, there are not much to speak of. A perfect example of this is most martial artists who face a wrestler. Unless you know how to deal with a solid tackle or takedown, a wrestler dumps you on your back and you're like a fish flopping around on dry land gasping for air. For me, the will to win included the desire to be well-rounded. What I saw as examples were people who didn't care what tools they used, they were dangerous. I felt I should be able to pick up a wooden kitchen spoon and be a threat with it. I say this because most of my experience is in weapon-based arts, and a wooden kitchen spoon is pretty insignificant in comparison to a sword, axe, mace, or spear. The meaning shifts a little bit when you're referring to empty-handed arts, but I think you get the idea. Another misconception is that people who have this will use it all the time, which makes them detestable people. They envision people like this butting in line at the coffee shop, taking candy from children, and always seeking to dominate those who are weaker. They attach the phrase law of the jungle to people like this, thinking that the strong merely need to dominate everyone they can. Of course, this kind of behavior is detestable. One can have the will to win and be a virtuous person with excellent character. Having true strength and skill, more often than not, sponsors you to be benevolent. There are sociopaths and psychopaths out there who are exceptions to this rule. However, just because there are a few bad apples doesn't mean you can condemn the will to prevail. Where I would see this play out most often was when you get a seasoned fighter playing around with an intermediate fighter. He would turn off his will to win while he was training them or doing light sparring. It is considered poor form even an unwritten rule that you don't just go out and annihilate someone of lesser skill. You spar with them just above their ability level to challenge them. Things would change when the intermediate jumps up in his skill level and the seasoned fighter is now challenged, where he wasn't being challenged before. It would also tend to happen when some young buck would get full of himself and start talking trash. Perhaps he was doing his best against the veteran and landing some good shots, then started crowing about it. I could see from 30 yards away when the body language of the veteran changed. You could see the fangs drop and it was no longer time to play around, it was time for business. I saw the same thing when watching seasoned security people dealing with potential violence. They had the experience to quietly assess a situation and know when the fangs needed to drop. It's subtle, really subtle. 
unless you know what you're looking for or are really good at reading people, you probably won't notice it. It's a little different in a sport fight setting than in the real world, but once you're familiar with it, it stands out like a big red flag. The will to win is a tool which must be used responsibly. It's not merely a desire to dominate everything and everyone. It's not living by the rule of the jungle, which is that the strong survive and the weak get eaten. There are differing schools of thought on this, but I believe humans are by their nature peaceful and cooperative. We are not animals who will cheat and steal from everyone if given the opportunity. I don't believe this is a romantic view either. Intelligent beings realize they prosper more by avoiding violence. They realize that using intimidation and the threat of violence is at best a short-term solution. In the medium and long term, it's a loser. Only broken people indulge in this kind of behavior. There are broken people out there, but I think they are in the severe minority. At least, people broken enough to violently dominate those who are weaker. My theory on this is that if people were not by their nature peaceful, then the feeble amount of law enforcement coverage we have now would not be anywhere near sufficient to keep society as relatively peaceful as it is. Of course there are exceptions, but humanity is not utter mayhem which is kept in control by government. That's a whole nother philosophical topic, and getting deeper into that would be going off topic of this podcast. What is on topic is envisioning what exactly we want to become. One of the benefits of seeing an instructor demonstrate a technique is to see how good it can be done. When we see something done well, we can accept that it can be done and we try to emulate it. The more we see high quality technique, the better image we have in our minds of what we want to achieve. This is why seeing as many high level martial artists as you can is beneficial to your training. It will expand your perception of what is possible. Study them and steal from them. I think the downside of most Aikido training is that we tend to see mostly very short moments of high quality performance. Being able to maintain such high levels of performance over several attacks or several minutes of attacking is far more challenging than just practicing against a single attack. That is why I adore Giawaza and Randori so much. These are where all the principles come together and where the rubber meets the road for Aikido. Just as sparring and competing is for a boxer, or matches are for a wrestler. It is hard to take any journey without a map to show you where you are going. Seeing what is possible through other martial artists is like looking at that map, which gives you indications on where you want to go. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program is now live. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.